This week on Heads and Tails, we hear from Chad Hollingsworth, who is the president and co-founder of Triax Technologies, and we talk about the role technology can play in combating the culture of toughness in sports, especially when it comes to head injuries. If you haven't done so yet, subscribe to the Heads and Tails podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and please leave us a five-star review to help us spread our message further and further each week. You can also stay up to date on what we're doing by following us on Instagram at Heads and Tails. That's heads as in multiple heads, the letter N, and then tails spelled T-A-L-E-S, like you're telling the story. Uh, same thing goes on Twitter. Just add a little P-O-D on the end, and also like us on Facebook. Lastly, you can find detailed show notes for all episodes at headsandtails.org backslash podcast. Now, without further ado, Here's Chad Hollingsworth from Triax Technologies. This is Kevin Som. You're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. We share stories of perseverance and inspiration in sports and in life. All right, well, welcome back to another episode of the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm here with Chad Hollingsworth. He's the president and co-founder of Triax Technologies. Um, he's going to talk to us about some of the inspiration behind the creation of the company and also uh, talk about some of the products that they offer uh, that has a lot to do with concussion detection um, and could be a way for, you know, athletes to kind of say that they're hurt when they're, when they're afraid to. It's a, it kind of takes that, the culture of toughness out of the, the game or out of the sport. And um, that's something that kind of hits home for me just because of my injury. And, you know, I was afraid to say, not afraid, but I wanted to be a tough guy. So I wasn't going to go say that I had a headache or something like that. I think um, products like the ones we're going to talk about is a way that we can kind of, you know, combat that in, in all sports. Um, so, Chad, let's just start off by talking about, like, what sports you played growing up and um, if you suffered from any injuries. Yeah, well, well thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I grew up playing a host of sports uh, in Connecticut. Lacrosse is obviously the okay. the big sport a lot, you know, very similar to high school football in Texas. Okay. Uh, so grew up big lacrosse player, uh, ice hockey, uh, skied a lot um, on weekends. Um, and then as I got into high school, I played soccer, squash, and lacrosse. Um, was lacrosse your your main your main gig or? Yeah, lacrosse was uh, the sport I played consistently. You know, younger through high school. Okay. Um, and then skiing was always my passion uh, right. and that and you mentioned injuries i've actually torn my acl twice uh skiing both skiing yes how old were you when you uh, tore it the first did, time did it in college uh junior year in college and then did it a few years again later when right. i was working in the city can you talk about like how that injury happened what the recovery was like because a lot of the people that i have on the, the podcast they'll be people who are overcoming any kind of injury so yeah, ACL's recovery is no fun, uh, anyone who's ever gone through it. Um, a lot of people say it's easier to recover from a broken leg. Uh, the The hardest thing for me was, you know, right after you have ACL surgery, essentially your whole leg is, like, atrophied, and right. you have to rebuild the strength. I'm with you on my yeah, yeah, you've my been there, quad so. is, like, half the size of what my other one is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. You look at the quad, you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, um, that's not good. But, uh, yeah, so going through the, the physical therapy and just having to be patient and methodical with the process is probably the most frustrating part. But if you do it, um, everything they tell you and you're diligent about it, I will admit that my my right knee I've had the surgeries on feels a little stronger in a lot of situations than my, my left one. Interesting. So how long was the recovery, like a year or so? Or Yeah, so it's it's six months of therapy, and then I would say your knee doesn't really feel normal, or you don't, I would say, walk without thinking about it for at least a year to, to two years. Afterwards. Is it because you're, like, afraid to do it again? There's a mental, or, yeah, mental battle. There's a mental hurdle you have to overcome with the ACL surgery. You know, for example, with skiing, you're you're constantly in the back of your head. You know, if I turn the too wrong quickly way, yeah. or I don't commit to this, you know, particular uh, run, am I going to do it again? And that's that's the hardest challenge. I think. Are you the kind of guy that's, like, a speed demon out there? Or are you, like, uh, doing jumps or well, going I, on the I terrain used to park? do a lot of backcountry. Okay. Um, and that's where I... Dodging I, trees? Yeah, yeah, dodging trees and rocks and going down uh, steep, narrow shoots that okay. there's not a lot of margin for error. I don't really do that anymore. I'm more of a groomer guy now because okay. I'd rather just enjoy my turns while I can as right. I get older. But, um, you know, it, it, I would say as I was, when I was younger, I was a little more reckless. How did you get over the mental battle after the first ACL? Yeah, any, so any techniques it, or anything that you can give up to any athletes out there who might be going through the same thing? I... I found that the best thing that helped me was riding a stationary bike. And I did that for another year and a half after they told me I could stop. 
Is um, that like range of motion? Because I know in my knee rehab, that seems to be like the thing that helps the most exa- in terms of range of motion. Yeah, it helped yeah. me get the full motion back because they'll let you go from physical therapy when you don't have a, you can't do a full knee bend. Right. So once I was able to to stay on the bike, keep it moving, and rebuild my muscles, um, I felt ultimately I got to a point where I was confident it was just as strong or stronger. Okay. But it was really just kind of patience and, and sticking to a game plan. All right, so let's talk about the second ACL and how that, that happened. Yeah. And what thoughts were going through your head when you were like, oh, my God, did you know right away because you had I, it happen before? I actually or? didn't, and it's kind of funny. I was on a, a ski trip in Jackson Hole with uh, a couple buddies, and one of them actually tore his ACL that morning. And he he hadn't it hadn't been confirmed yet, but he was he had taken the day off. We th- could tell something was wrong. And this was just in the afternoon, and it was just a freak accident where I kind of launched off this lip and landed a little straight on it. I felt a sharp pain, but it didn't pop like it did the first so time. So your knees were like your knee was locked out? Yeah. Or, okay. So I def and I stopped. I pulled off the trail, but I was able to ski down on one leg essentially, and I could still walk on it, put pressure on it. It didn't feel like it like right. it, when I had done it the first time. And I went with my buddy to the doctor and decided to get an MRI because my knee started to swell Swelling up. up yeah. And then they told me that I had done it as well. So two out of four guys on the ski trip tore their, their ACLs, ACLs on the second day. That's a rough trip, yeah. Yeah, it was a rough trip. There Spent was, a lot of time in the ski lodge. A lot of, a lot of beers, a lot of, time, a lot of depressed uh, conversation in the ski lodge. All right, so what was going through your head when it was like the second time? Or was it like, that was oh, actually, man, like I got another year of PT and this and that? or Yeah, that was... Uh, that was actually a lot worse because you know what's coming at you again. Okay, um, yeah. And you, I literally sometimes was, that's worse than not knowing. I yeah, guess. It yeah, was, it was three years after I'd done it the first time, and I was just thinking, "Oh my god, I got to go through this all over again." And it was different where I did it the first time. I was in college. You could, you know, schedule your therapy around classes. You have a little more free time. I was working a full time job in New York City. And I had to do six months of PT and get around New York New City. City yeah, it's not easy, um, yeah. On crutches, which was not fun. No. Uh, so the second time, I would say it was worse. Palms are all sore. Your armpits yeah, are the screaming. Armpits, yeah. yeah, but although I will say it's a lot easier to hail a cab when you have crutches in your hands. Right? Yeah. yeah. People, yeah you get sympathy. Crossing <laughs> you, the street, people stop for you. Every off doors. Duty, yeah, yeah, every off-duty cab driver will pull over and give you a ride if you have a crutch in That's your hands. That's awesome. Right. That's good. There are good people out there still. Yeah, there are a few out there. So what was the what would you say is the worst part about uh, rehabbing from an ACL? The worst part is being on those crutches uh, with the straight leg brace. Okay, for, for so long. For it was eight weeks the second time because I did my meniscus as okay, well. Okay, yeah, and it's not um, weight bearing with yeah, that meniscus, right? And by the t- once you get that off, there's literally no muscle left in your right. leg. Um, once you can start moving it around and getting it on the stationary bike and going through PT, it starts to come back. And once you lose the crutches, I feel like it. Yeah, you, quickly. You get once you start putting weight on yeah. it, yeah, that's what I've noticed but too. The it first gets better a lot quicker. Yeah, the first couple months is rough. Yeah, I have a, a good friend who's going through a Achilles surgery recovery right now. Oh wow, that's no um, joke too. Yeah, and and it sounds very similar to that, but he's he can't put any weight on it for, you know, I think it's like three months. Okay. And. Yeah, that's the worst part, not having full use of your leg. Agreed. <laughs> um, all right, so did you suffer any concussions when you were growing up? I did in uh, two that I would say were documented. Right. Um, How many uh, undocumented, so, do you think? Uh, from what I know now about concussions, they say, you know, anytime you saw stars. Right. It was probably a, a, a minor concussion. Right. So I, I don't know if I could count, but I would say, you know, at least a 10 to a dozen right. um, of seeing stars. I'm up there like 20, yeah. like upwards it, of 20. When yeah. you find that out and you're like, wait, really? Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, I do know I definitely had a concussion in eighth grade playing ice hockey and uh, in high school playing lacrosse. Can you talk about those two concussions, just like the mechanism of injury and then like what symptoms you had? And Yeah, I mean, uh, eighth eighth grade, I was uh, back then that you could check and it was we were hitting and I doing what they tell you not to do, which was skating with your head down, <laughs> and just got creamed. And so you just didn't see the kid coming? Open ice, yeah. just totally crushed, gloves went flying, um, and I blacked out for, you know, I would say a couple of minutes. Okay, so that's the, the obvious kind, yeah. Yeah, um, and then just, you know, had headaches and was uh, a little out of it and dizzy, but back then, no one really, like, I didn't miss a day of school, you know, I didn't even right. have to really no go to the doctor, there there's no athletic like, trainer. Yeah. Um, 
so it there it was more just like I kind of rested and kind of got back into sports. Right. Uh, high school was similar. Just got hit uh, in lacrosse going for a ground ball. What position were you in lacrosse? Uh, attack. Yeah, so head down, going guy, for that Yeah, that head down, ball. guy probably twice Common the size theme. of me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't learn my lesson. <laughs> um, and that time I, I was out for a couple weeks. Um, but even, you know, I'm 31 now, so this is 13 years ago. Right. And the awareness of concussions was still nothing yeah. like what it is When today. I had my head injury, it was 2007. That was like right at the cusp of when like people actually started talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I could. It I, it's really accelerated the last, I'd say, five years. Yeah, it's crazy. Like you can't turn on the TV at all anymore without no. talking about concussions. It, when we started this company about almost four years ago, um, it was nothing like it is today. It right. was literally just NFL football, what people were talking about. Now it's every sport, right? Every all, all levels, yeah. Um, well, that transitions nice into my next question. So you talk about like your professional background, like what inspired you to start uh, the Triax Technologies company? Yeah, so I I went to uh, Babson College, which is a, a very entrepreneurial school, and I knew I always wanted to run my own business one day. Cool. But when I got out, I didn't really know what I wanted to do specifically, so I got a job in... New York City, uh, working at Bloomberg, which is a financial service um, software provider. Okay. And I worked there for three full years um, and learned a lot about what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. And really my my in, my biggest takeaway from being at a company like Bloomberg, where you know most people know Mike Bloomberg, he's a brilliant entrepreneur who built this incredible company that he still owns basically the whole thing today. Um, and... Oh, you're kind of inspired by that, you know. If this guy was able to create this right, huge exactly, company yeah. in his his lifetime. If he could do it. Why can't I do yeah, it? Right? I mean, you know, why not try to do it yourself? And right. so, um, my my father, who's actually a, a serial entrepreneur as well, I left left the corporate world to meet, join forces with him, so to speak, and we started playing around with different uh, wearable technologies. We knew we wanted to do something in the wearable tech space. Um, why is that? Um, you know, it, there's a lot of advancements in chip technology that let let you create new products very easily that you couldn't do even five years ago. Right. Okay. So, you know, everyone talks with all about the Fitbits and Polar Loops and stuff like that. Or yeah, I mean, ev- everyone talks about like you know the Internet of Things. Um, you know, some of the ideas are just gimmicks. You know, putting a Bluetooth. Uh, chip in your toilet paper roll, so you know what Tooth- or you know, toothbrush. Like, I just want an electric right, toothbrush, toothbrush with Bluetooth. Or, I'm like, or, what the hell am I gonna do this? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I even saw a cup once that you know kept track of how much water. I mean, it just yeah, things that stuff, are gimmicks. Yeah. Um, but so anyway, we're we're just looking around at that space, and we started seeing all these news articles about it was uh, just football really back then, um, and we noticed there just wasn't a good way to really quantify what was going on. So um, we happened to be lucky enough to know a really talented engineer that we pitched the concept to, and he built the prototype. Um, our original concept, which is still the foundation of the company today, was to try to create a sensor that you could use for all sports. So our thinking was, you know, my concussions were in lacrosse right. and ice hockey, not in football, but people weren't talking about right. these other sports. And, the, like, Rydell had that, like, the IQ helmet that measures but that's just football right right so there was a system for football and that was it right uh so we we operate on the assumption that there's head injuries in any contact sport so soccer basketball water polo ice hockey lacrosse rugby um to name a few but there wasn't any way to just track hits to hits in those sports right no data right yeah and then the other uh thing we figured out early on was the only way to get really good accurate data was to have it attached directly to the head. So if the sensor's coupled to the head, you're measuring what the head's doing versus if it's on a helmet, you're just measuring what the, the helmet's, helmet's doing. doing. Exactly. Um, and, and that was, uh, those were the two, two things we thought we could build something to address those issues. Awesome. So would you say that's your company's mission or do you have like a standard mission that you usually say your elevator pitch? Yeah. So I mean, to say, so, I mean, it, our, our goal is to, collect and generate data that can make all sports safer. Okay. Um, and we basically, our, our mission is to build the best tools to allow people to do that. Um, 
it's another set of eyes, an objective uh, data measure on on the the sports field, and uh, I think it's going to play a really big role in the future of sports safety. Cool, I agree. Um, so you kind of touched on this before, but how did you come up with the designs of the products? Like you were just saying now, like there hasn't been anything that that was like not, that was attached to the actual head, mm. not like in a helmet or something like that. So did you see like what else was out there and try to you know differentiate yourself? Um, or like see what their downfalls were or just trial yeah. and error? How, how did it work? So what we wanted was a sensor that attached in different headbands or skull caps because you could use that for any sport. And we wanted the sensor to be at the back of the head because it was out of the way. Okay, um, right. and, it, and it turns out that positioning, there's actually the, the best place you could position a sensor um, other than, you know, screwing it into someone's head which would be the best way to get the best data okay. that's never gonna happen uh but having it in the back there where you know it was out of the way um and you could allow for a lot of different headband designs for athlete preference okay um that's what kind of pushed us in that direction all right so what kind of obstacles did you come across in the design process because this this podcast is mostly about overcoming obstacles right. so you could it doesn't matter where you are as an entrepreneur you know you're going to yeah. you're going to so the hardest thing was we wanted a sensor that could communicate in real time on a on a field for every player and it sounds simple and that was actually the most difficult thing we've done to date we had to create our a custom uh, RF protocol to collect uh, data from dozens of devices over a large simultaneously uh, larger, yeah, with with low power draw Okay. Um, so that was really the biggest engineering challenge, and that's still today our biggest competitive advantage because we did it all custom in-house. Right. So you know, most people might try to use Bluetooth because it's easily available and it's kind of easy to program. Okay. So yours isn't through Bluetooth. No. Well, so our we our team product, which is our first product. Yeah, we're at, that was actually um, my next question. Was to, so you, if you could if you yeah. could start talking about your your products. So we have two products right now on the market. The team product is designed for college high school pro level um it can do up to 63 athletes in real time uh directly to a little base station on the sideline which looks like a little lunchbox and then that data can be viewed on any phone tablet or computer okay um, with that, the idea that an athletic trainer is going to look at that data right so an athletic trainer gets an alert on their smartphone um, and they can get it via text message so for example only let me know a hit above this threshold which is a, a high impact hit uh, then I can keep an eye on that person or check them next time they come off. Okay. Um, what we learned early on when we were doing testing and at some schools, ages, you know, middle school through college, parents would come up to us and ask, hey, could we buy one of these for our kid? And the team system isn't set up for, for one For individual use, yeah. Right. So we basically just made a Bluetooth version that someone could buy okay, uh, and so that use one is with their Bluetooth. smartphone. Okay. Yes, yeah, so that's it doesn't have the, um, the you can't do the same amount of range. The data doesn't uh, do a whole team. You can only do you could do five kids with your phone. Right. Um, and it's more designed for you, a parent drops their kid off at practice. They go run errands and they pick them back up. It uploads all the data that happened gotcha, when they gotcha. were gone. It's not like real time. Like yeah, it's, it's watching real time. Johnny on the soccer field. Right. And he's and like, was, all right, take him off the yeah, field. That's another yeah. thing we were really worried about was someone overreacting or misinterpreting the data and right. just ruining some like, you know, sixth grade soccer game. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so You're never playing soccer again. Yeah, so it only uploads when it's within about 30 feet of okay. uh, the smartphone. So, t I mean, you could still get it in a game, but... Um, we do a good job within the app, kind of educating them about what the data means. And okay, and not to freak out. If, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you talked about the difference of that. So what's the role of the athletic trainer in in this in like in with your products? Like I in a lot of schools they have equipment managers too. Like wh who would be who, or who who do you see, you know, managing? these devices so a lot of schools that have athletic trainers um that's the big key and i know you talk about that a lot which most schools don't right um or yeah athletic or maybe, trainers save my life i'll say it every yeah. time yeah and you know part-time some have part-time but basically uh schools that have them they are the ones who interact with the system uh as well as the coaches so 
what kind of feedback have you been getting so far with uh, the schools that that have athletic trainers and they have the resources and time to like manage the data and kind of see yeah, what's so, going on? Um, once you get the programs up and running, uh, usually the kid the kid's the one who's in charge of putting it on. Okay, um, and that just becomes a part of their pre-game or pre-practice routine. It's really not a big deal to put a headband on. Um, the data can be viewed on anyone's phone so you could have just the at getting it or you could also have the coaches getting it um or the ad whoever you want the athletic trainers really use it as a way to you know just keep an eye on an extra set of eyes on these athletes that for example their job's so crazy during games where they're right. taping ankles and they're getting ice and they're right. dealing with cuts they can't look at a computer screen. Right. So that's it's not like the NFL where they have like six right. athletic trainers on yeah. the sideline. Like the yeah. NFL could have one guy just looking at data if they wanted to. Right. Um, but so we send an alert. So an alert will go off if there's something big that happened that they might not have seen. And now they're aware of it. Okay. So before they might not have been aware of it. It's impossible for one person to see every hit. Yeah, exactly. And that's part of the thing, especially at the youth level. Like, you're right. Like, an athletic trainer is the one who's taping ankles and tending this and tending that. But there's still stuff going on mm -hmm. on the field. So this is a way where, you know, they can be alerted that, yeah, hey, while you are taping this kid's ankle um, or looking at whatever injury, you know, this other kid took a big hit that you mm -hmm. missed, right? Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Not that it was your fault, but no, yeah, it happens. But at right? least you know about it now. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. It's a cool so is this something that a parent could easily manage too? Mm -hmm. Like I know you said like you pick them up for practice and stuff and then they have all the data on their smartphone. Mm -hmm. So there, is there like analytics and stuff like that like built into the app or do they have to like start their own spreadsheet and try to track it that way? Yeah, so um, if you go on our website, you can see some kind of images of what the app looks like. You can also download it for free from the App Store. So um, check it out before play yeah, with yeah. it. Yeah, if you, before getting the sensor. But basically, what we do is we show you know how many hits, how hard were recorded, and where. So the whole goal of of the Simpy is well, there's really two goals. One is to start a conversation that didn't happen before. So if you pick your kid up and you say how was practice, and he said, you know, it was great. You know, we had a lot of fun. Did you get any head hits? You could say, no, I'm fine. But you could say, well, now actually what was that hit you took? Right. You know, the ADG hit you took. Let's talk about that. And right. then you can start going through the checklist, for example, the CDC provides to try to see if okay. there's any early symptoms. The other goal is to try to help parents teach their kids to play with better technique. So if, if you know, you're teaching your kid to head a soccer ball in the backyard. Yeah, I was going to get into that. Yeah, yeah we're, uh, we, can, we show you basically on a heat map on, on a 3D head model on the app where they're taking those headers. So you obviously want them to have it more off their forehead and the forces go down when you do that. Um, so you can use to this dissipate as a, like the impact. Yeah. The, the, if you do a, a header properly, your forces are significantly lower than if you're doing it with poor technique. And when you say properly, it just means like the part of the head that you use. Yeah. So the part of the head is crucial. Um, and also having your core, tight when Engage, you when you strike like the ball rigid right is um, that like whipping like whiplash or yeah, whatever? yeah exactly but you know if you think in football everyone knows now that cr hits off the crown of the head are really dangerous right so if you see your kids constantly pick up practice head, and yeah. you could say you know what's going on you know we need to or you could maybe even talk to the coach and say look my sensor data is telling me he's taking too many crown hits what can we do to to teach them to play right. safer. So your your product can decipher like where the hits were. Yes. Too? Yeah. Oh uh, wow, that's I didn't I didn't even know that. Yeah, I mean I I know this is a podcast, but I could show you. Uh, yeah, I mean I'm gonna link uh, like as much as I can up okay. in the show notes, so I'll try to portray the best message I can. But all right, cool. So. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we yeah, Chad just showed me a, a yeah. screenshot of basically like a face and then a little target of where the impact mm -hmm. was. So that's yeah. really cool. Um, so. Has there been any research done? I actually work in sports health mm -hmm. research, and has there been any research using your uh, product? I know you guys recently were introduced, or your product was introduced to Major League Lacrosse, right? So, mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's over, man, I'd have to check, but I think there's over 25 different institutions now using our centers for research. Okay. Um, and we have, you know, I'll give you just some, some of the researchers that are using our technology, using them for soccer. Uh, men and women's soccer, water polo, um, 
What kind I, of impacts in water polo? Like uh, yeah, ball impacts or you know, believe, elbows? Believe it or not, and I didn't know this until we were approached by, there's actually a really brilliant doctor out of uh, UC Irvine, uh, Dr. Hicks. The anteaters? Yeah. Mascot? <laughs> yeah. And uh, they, have, you know, they have one of the top uh, water polo club teams there in the country. Okay. Water polo is a small sport. I think there's like 70,000 kids in the U.S. who play. Um, but he, Dr. Hicks had realized that you know, there was no data published for concussions in water polo, and it's the only NCAA-sanctioned sport that has no concussion data published on it. Uh, just had kind of like slipped through the cracks. Yeah, well, it's, it's a like cool a, way for you guys to get in there too. Yeah, so, so he started this study where he's using our sensors to look at you know the types of hits people take. You know, he showed us some data where guys throwing the ball or throwing it at like forty plus miles an hour. What? While they're like treading yeah. water. So <laughs> imagine the goalie getting hit by that. But the thing that that they pointed out to us, which I guess when you think about it makes sense, the only thing really above the water in that sport is your head. Right. So any hit to the head with a lot of elbows get thrown around or ball there's nothing really stabilizing it right yeah, so you that. get that whiplash a lot Constantly, quicker yeah. and there there is some early evidence that it could be one of the higher frequency concussion sports oh that's interesting yeah that's cool that you guys had a, a part in, in kind of finding that out yeah it's uh, it's just getting going and i think you know there like a lot of these sports until our technology was around they weren't really able to collect this data Right. Um, so, you know, women's soccer has always been a big push uh, for us just because, you know, it's the second highest concussion rated sport. There's a lot of people who play it. And plus and all they women wear headbands. like headbands. Yeah, yes, exactly. exactly yeah. So it's easy to make some, you know, aesthetically pleasing headbands and, and get them to, to buy into Are you guys going to start coming out with, like, leopard print ones? And like <laughs> we have, uh, have do have some designs for that. Um, we've had, uh, it, it, well, we find those schools usually want something kind of, yeah, uniform. That blends in or, or is part yeah, of the uniform. Yeah, blends in a little better. Cool. Um, so what's like uh, – oh, let's talk about the culture of toughness in sports and how your product can kind of cut through that. Um, did you, like, play through concussions and stuff? Or obviously you said, like, you talked about seeing stars and stuff mm -hmm. like that. I know I played through tons of injuries, and it's all because I was trying to, you know, portray this image of being tough, right? Mm -hmm. So I think – you know, how can your product kind of cut yeah. through that that, so, that culture? You know, and that's the one of the biggest issues, right? Is we need to have create behavior change in these sports, and it has to start with the kids, and they need to be aware that it's okay to to tell someone you got a concussion or right. your head is ringing, right? Because you you only get one brain, and, exactly, yeah. and you don't you don't realize it when you're younger, but if you damage that, you could be damaging it for the rest for, of your life. Yeah, and almost every kid is, who plays sports growing up is going to need their brain to function in a career environment. Right. Unfortunately, not everyone's going to be a pro athlete. Exactly, yeah. Um, so where our, our technology comes in is it allows you to start at an early age showing people with data what they're really doing. Mm -hmm. uh, all kids love smartphones these days. I think I saw a five-year-old the other day with an iPhone. Um so they like to interact with the sensor in, right. the, in the app because it's something that's there is kind of a part, an ex natural extension of them is their iPhone. So now they have this data and you can have conversations around that data. We think that creates awareness that will have people self-report more. Um, and if you have something that's saying objectively that was a big hit, right. you don't have to try to cover it up and worry about looking like a wimp right. to your teammates because... It's not up to you anymore. Right. It's up to the, the data. Exactly. What I just kind of thought of at the top of my head, we can go into this or we can just skip over it, but is there a point where it's like you have this data? And, like, as an athlete, when I think back, like, it's fun. Like, I always tell this story. When I had my second impact syndrome, my mom was on a, a business trip, and she actually missed that game, but I was telling her the whole week that my head was hurting me, like, mm -hmm. over the phone. And she's like, well, Kevin, you know, I, I – read this people magazine article about this kid who had a concussion he, he was a football player he played with before it healed and he died from second impact syndrome that's exactly wow. what happened to me that's but scary. when you're wow. 17 or any athlete like you never think it'll happen to you right and like you don't want to think about bad things happening because like it'll affect you as an athlete so is there a point where like you think the that data could make you like scared like how do we how do we balance you know that because i think the data is important right mm -hmm. 
exactly like what we're saying about the culture of toughness in sports. But at the same time, like I'm a big pro sports guy. I just say like, just say when you're hurt basically. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if I told someone that my head hurt, I probably could have kept playing, but because I didn't, I sit out for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's like a, a, a fine line between. Yeah, because you don't want people to, to not play sports. Exactly. Yeah. That's like <laughs> um, the opposite of what I'm trying to do. Right. Yeah. And, and I think, I think the biggest. We're both trying to do it. Right. right. Yeah. Because yeah, if no one's playing sports, <laughs> yeah, no, you know, one's not, yeah, no one's buying our headband. <laughs> but if you, um, if, if you can teach people to use the data as a way to kind of validate what you're feeling. Right. I don't think it's is on you as much to you know you could say if your if your head hurts as a kid you got to tell someone right especially nowadays what we're learning every yeah. I feel like every couple of months there's another research study that comes out just enforcing everything people have learned um, I, I really think that if if kids are taught early on and it has to come too from the parents right there there's right. crazy parents out there who right. may may still suck it up yeah <laughs> yeah you know get that scholarship that type of thing yeah. um but i i think if kids are taught early on that it's okay um to to report an injury it, i think you'll see a lot of this other stuff kind of go away and one of the issues you know people say women's soccer second and it's more than men but there's a lot of evidence out there that women are just more in tune with their body and tell people more right. when they have concussions and are self-reporting more. So for all we know, guy soccer could have more concussions than women's, but the guys are, because of this culture of toughness, don't right. say anything. And that's something that needs to change. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with what you said before, like in terms of like not scaring people and it's more of like a validation tool that like you – like there, there's a reason why you're feeling how you're feeling because you just took an 80 G hit or whatever, like you like mm -hmm. you said. Like it's like the data's there, so it's not like you're just like afraid to s like think that your teammates or your coaches are thinking that you're try trying to get out of practice right. or you're worried about something else, right? So I, I think that's that's kind of where the the yeah. value is. Too. I mean, people count their steps every day, right? With right. Fitbits and um, just because they want to know what they're doing, right? right. You should want to know what your head's doing. Yeah, that's cool. Um, okay. So let's talk about the, on your website, you have this head on no. initiative uh, where you interview athletes who have gone through, you know, uh, they had head injuries or concussions or post, you know, concussion syndrome. Um, so what's like the mission of, of that portion of your, your guys, uh, company? So we started the head on, uh, initiative because we think there's too much negative press or press about how bad concussions are right. in, in sports. But there isn't a lot of information on, okay, I'm an athlete or a parent. What should I be looking for? Or, like, there's a lot of myths still out there. Right. Um, you know, A lot of unknowns. A right. lot of claims. Right. But yeah, there's there's still a lot that's unknown, right. despite what the media reports. So we wanted to have a, a, a resource where people who interact with our products could also get information that, you know, what their what, – what, what's – objectively going on. So we interview people from all walks of life who are experts in the field or parents or athletes have had injuries. And so as a kid, you, you our goal is that they feel, hey, there's other people just like me who've had this happen. Like, I'm going to speak up next time it right. happens. Um, but as a parent, you can go there and get information about you know, what to be looking for and, and, and what's important to keep your kids safe. Right. So it was just a, a way to try to add some more uh, objective information than what's reported in the media. Cool. Yeah, I think it's a great thing that you guys got going. And actually, um, I forget the kid's name, but there's another kid with second impact syndrome. Yeah. I think I reached uh, out to him on Instagram, though. I, okay. Because like, I had never met anyone who had the oh, injury really? that we had who was, like, still cognitively, you know, fully functioning wow. like we both were. So I reached out to him because I'm trying to get him on the podcast. Oh, too. good. Were you um, able to connect with him? Yeah, okay. but I'm having issues with, like, doing Skype interviews because uh, okay. I got this the new mics, and gotcha. it's not as easy as my other one. But gotcha. anyway, you made, you're making connections. Uh, yeah, awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Here, yeah. That's the point of it. Um, so what, what have been some of, like, the most uh, memorable people you had on that the head-on? Um, there was a, uh, a kid from Deerfield who I think – I don't know if I can – I think his name's on the website, but um, we're struggling with names. Uh, Too many head yeah, injuries. Yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I could Google. I look him up. Um, I think it's Andrew, but he had a, a, a injury playing ice hockey in high school. 
and four concussions I think he had over the season playing high level prep school in one season yeah yeah and he was a you know a good talented young player who had college prospects and couldn't and he actually uh we, he almost interned for us a great kid um and I I just I fell for him because I I was like basically I went to prep school and played those sports resonated like, with have his easily story been yeah. Me, yeah right yeah. and you know he was really just devastated he couldn't play hockey right. but he's actually made it his own mission to to go out and and try to raise awareness right um, so he teamed up with the sports legacy institute who we've done some work with yeah um, chris Nowinski up there yeah chris yep have you talked with chris i've met him a couple times um, he'd be a good person for your podcast yeah that'd be yeah i read his book head games yeah. and stuff yeah in, yeah documentaries when i was, when I was down in dc he was at this conference that i went to um and i met him there but yeah he's a great guy Cool. He's done a lot to, hit. yeah. I, I will. Say, we've done some work with him, and he's been a big, big champion of of our our company. And he's done more to, I think, raise awareness. Well, they got the publicly. hit count thing that they, yeah, they have and, going. But he re, he's really the guy who got the press talking about this, okay. which is amazing if you yeah. think about how big it's gotten and it's global now. So yeah, his story is cool too. Yeah. Um. So what what are What's the most important thing to like educate athletes about concussions? You think that'll m- make the biggest difference in making uh, sports safer? So, I I think I can tell you where I think it's going. Okay. Um, I honestly think, and you just mentioned the hit count. I think for contact sports to survive, there's going to have to be hit limits in sports, just like pitch counts in little league baseball. Right. Um, and all the studies we're a part of right now are looking at the subconcussive hits. Okay. And there's a lot of evidence that points that the subconcussive hits are probably doing more damage than a few concussions. Like through fMRIs and stuff like that. Yeah, there's DT, doing DTI scans in comparison to like our sensor data. Right. Um, there's some research groups that are starting to find trends in people taking certain amount of exposure during a okay. season, and then when changes start to happen in the brain, I think that that's the most promising research and people are need to be aware of every moderate to severe hit they right. take. And there's going to probably be a, like a gas gauge in each person's app in the future that right. says, Hey, you're in this danger zone. Um, and you need to remove yourself from play until you're not. Right. Uh, and I, and I think that that will be the most promising thing for, for sports safety. Cool. Uh, obviously you still need to be aware of, concussions because second impact syndrome although extremely rare rare yeah is very real yeah in, in your living testament i know to that. yeah trust me um and i got a scar on the side of my head yeah. <laughs> and uh it, the, it, if if kids if kids aren't doing it yet they need to look around and understand that if you have a concussion think about it as like a, a broken leg right and you tell someone if you have a broken leg exactly and you get yeah. it fixed mm-hmm. You have to look at it the same way. Yep. And that's a good message. And and that's that's I think what is starting to slowly get through. And not only that, but I think teammates need to look out for their te- like their fellow teammates as well, right? Because if you if your buddy's complaining about headaches all the time and he's like not acting like himself and doing stuff that's like out of the ordinary, you know, he, he might not take himself out, but you could easily put like an anonymous message into if your school's lucky enough to have an athletic trainer to the athletic trainer. Or to the coach, if he's mm-hmm. open enough to, if if he's not a part of that culture of toughness. Right, right. Um, but I, yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, do you have any kids? I have a six-month-old daughter, oh, so fresh. She's not playing contact sports yet. <laughs> no, okay. Um, but you're still a parent now, so you kind of you know. So, what would you say to a parent who doesn't want their kid to play sports because they're afraid of concussions? So, I would, I, I think, well, it, it depends on the sport. Okay. Um, is the way I look at it. Like if I had a kid, I let him play football. Probably not. Not in his current form. You wouldn't um, let him play. No, I no. wouldn't. I wouldn't let them play football in its current form. Why is that? Um, every researcher that we do work with, as all thinks that they all think that it's not sustainable playing in its current form. Okay. Um, just too many small hits. Um, that's where technology and having limits could change that. But if it were played the way it is today and I had a son, I, I wouldn't let him play. Um, I, I would tell a parent who's worried about letting their kid play soccer or ice hockey or lacrosse that, you know, we've, we've collected data on all these sports. 
the amount of hits in those sports is significantly lower than, say, football or rugby. But right, the point of the game isn't to hit people like right. it is in those sports. Right, right. Um, but you derive so much more positive from playing a team sport than not playing it at all. Right. In terms of you know how you develop as a person, and, right? Um, how you interact with people, and that's going to play a big role with how you you know go about your career in life. Right. So I I think it'd be a mistake for people to rule out playing a contact sport because they're worried about a concussion. Mm -hmm. I think you just need to be more aware of what to look for. And if you teach someone to play with good technique and the coaching's good and you keep an eye on them, I think everyone can play sports safely. Right. And I agree with that. And uh, I'm a, I'm a football guy at heart. I've played football my whole life and I don't regret playing at all. It was like some of the best memories of my life for sure. And if I can go back and do it again, even knowing what I know now, I would play. But what I would do different is I would say something when my head hurt. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like I always say that like people ask me that all the time. If I like if I had a kid, would I let him play? I don't have a kid, so it's hard for me to say. But you know, I had so much fun playing. I got so much out of the game, even though it might sound like cliche, that's like what everyone says. But you know, like you can get hit like walking across the street. Yeah. You know, you could you driving could... to school, you can get into a car accident and die and never be able to play again or like live long enough to feel the effects of CTE, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, if you have fun playing and, like, you're, you're smart about it, you, you're open and honest about how you how your body's feeling as an athlete, whether it's your ankle, knee, shoulder, or head, mm -hmm. I feel like and we have the right culture and, there, and with technology like your headband coming out, you know, it's a more open and honest, like, environment to play in. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, if, if, the, if they want to play, play. Yeah, I, 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 I do agree. I mean, you... I think there are just as many concussions of someone slipping on the sidewalk, you know, right, and hitting yeah. their head as yeah. there are in, in sports. But um, if it's if all those things you mentioned, people do, then I I totally agree that it, right. But in its current state, right. I see what you're saying. Right. Yeah. It, it you know there for example, um, I just think there's so many people. There's like knee jerk reactions happening now in these sports where, you know, Ivy League just banned. I saw all, that old practice, yeah, like tackling. contact, right? Yeah, but there's a lot of s studies out there that show if you don't practice tackling, yeah. your injuries of shoulders and knees and everything else goes up. Right. So they're probably gonna have so, other okay. Things, so they're not yeah. taking many hits to the head, but how many ACL surgeries are exactly, they gonna have yeah. this season? And you know, I think people that's a are, whole another podcast. Yeah, <laughs> right. And I, and I really think people are are kind of overreacting right. to what they're just hearing in the media. To me, they're like these little band-aids that they put on to like fix a huge problem right. that they're just trying to like cover up with a band-aid that's like maybe on the surface it might help, you know, in yeah. terms of like, yeah, obviously if you don't tackle, you know, you're not going to have as many head impacts, but you know, like you said, like you're still getting all these other injuries and stuff yeah. like that. There, so. There's a, a, a study going on at the university of New Hampshire. Um, that's, uh, funded by, was partly funded by the GE. Is that the one with no helmets? Yes. And like, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was interesting. Dr. Schwartz is the the, uh, the the brains behind it. And his data is, he just published some data and is starting to show that if you learn these tackling right. techniques without helmets right. that he's come up with, they're seeing a 30% reduction in those hits people get in games. So that that's a, that's that's a huge. big number, yeah, right? Huge, yeah. So if, if you take... Like, for example, that's one part of it. And then the education's another part of it. And then the treatment of it's another part of it. Right. You, all these areas are improving, and I think that's what ultimately will keep these sports alive and keep everyone playing them. Cool. Um, did you see the concussion movie? I did. What did you think about it? Uh, I thought it was good. It was, um, you know, it was kind of actually surreal to see it because I've interacted with a lot of the people those people were playing um, right. in the movie. So, um I know the story very well. Uh, I know that it's, it was definitely uh, dramatized to an, <laughs> to an yeah, extent. Yeah, I in agree. The movie. But um, I, I thought it, it's it, my my one concern with it is that it might scare too many people. That's exactly um, what I, and, my beef about it was. And I, you know, like they said, that one like three minute montage where they're just showing all these brutal hits in football over right, and over right, again. Right, it's right. like shaking like a you know an egg or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it, I I just think that people might see that, and and it, I think it was designed to kind of scare people. Yeah, and that's exactly what I thought when I saw it. Like there were some parts that I was like, oh, okay, like it showed some good sides of football, but it was like very anti-football. Yeah. I felt like like if I hadn't played football and I 
or if I was a parent, like thinking about letting my kid play football and saw that, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's not going to yeah. happen. Um, and I, like I said, like there's not all, it's not all bad. Like in the media it portrays it to be like all bad and like, yeah, withholding information, that's a problem, you know, yeah. like not letting guys know like what they're, you know, if, what the research that's out there, you know, about like, what could happen to them down the line. Like, yeah, that's obviously a problem. Yeah. But to like, it's almost like an attack on the, the sport itself and. That's a, it's, it's a, like, it's a fine line for all this stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. you can go either way, but, um, okay. So we're, we're starting to wrap up here. What do you uh, think sports will look like five, 10, 15, 20 years from now in terms of technology so, and, and how it could make sports safer? Yeah. So, I mean, I think I, I touched on it a little, but, you know, I actually asked this question to a lot of the researchers who use our technology and ultimately their research, I think is going to change the way these sports are allowed to be played um i think in uh in five years i think you'll see i think you will see um new definitely new helmets which are looking at uh preventing try to get those vices guys on the podcast yeah uh, but i have so the biggest the biggest thing we need to reduce for concussion head injury is the rotational forces okay so it's not so much the big hits it's that whiplash effect that mm-hmm. causes the brain to violently move within the skull they're starting to come out with helmets now and start to require testing for helmets to see how they reduce rotational forces i think you'll see a whole new helmet line for every sport with helmets in five years right um and i think they'll do a, a much better job i think sensors are going to play a big role in the future in terms of when there are hit counts in in sports um and and for teaching technique and uh alerting people to big events that the technology is only going to get better and the um me the basically the the meaning behind the data is only going to become more concrete we're really in this big data collection phase right now right but ultimately there's going to be concrete recommendations to how you use that data right um i think I, I unfortunately I th- I think football um unless they they dramatically change soon you're starting to see a lot of people at the uh wealthier parts of society not playing it as much and right. it's becoming more of a a lower yeah, income Yeah there was an article like a few years ago that was like the end of football and they talked about how it's going to become like boxing and stuff Yeah uh, and Grantland I think Yeah uh, Grantland yeah. right and I, that 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 is what's the trend that's starting to happen. Right. I think that could be reversed um, if if they embrace these new safety standards, um, which are going to keep being recommended. I think every year you'll see something new right. uh, recommended, especially in football. Um, but, you know, I, I hope that, you know, the, the future of sports safety will evo- and probably involve a lot of other wearables, not just head sensors. So looking at heart rate, um, temperature, hydration. Yeah. I interviewed a bunch of uh, a couple of physical therapists from uh, the London Irish Rugby Club. Okay. And they were talking about all the data collection tools that they use to kind of like look for spikes in like activity levels of their athletes, and like those spikes tend to translate into like injuries, even though they might not be injured at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, yeah. Like like, like for I mean, and it's not even that far off. Like our next generation sensor we have designed right now, which will be out probably towards the end of this year also does uh, calories distance and temperature oh wow so it's also there'll be a conditioning component to all this so cool and you can now build these products for you know a, a middle school coach right and now they can have really high quality conditioning That's crazy, data, yeah. right which bef- so, uh, before yeah. it was just a, a price barrier but, but yeah so well like what's next for for triax technologies what are you guys uh working on so uh, that that's our biggest, uh, biggest sports right project right now is okay. that new sensor. Um, one of the, the biggest things we're trying to address is we're trying to have a sensor with much better rotational data okay. uh, to aid research. Um, and we've come up with a solution we think is going to really set the bar for, okay. for researchers because we feel that the more data you get into the experts that are looking at all these different sports and how to make them safer, um, the quicker we're going to be able to change sports so they can thrive into the future um that 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 new sensor we think is going to be a big game changer for for the industry cool i'll be looking out for that 
Um, can you plug your website and where people can buy your product? Yeah. Um, social media, all that stuff. Yeah. So and we, I'll link it up in the show notes. Sure. Yeah. We have uh, you know our website's triaxtech.com. Um, you can buy our our SIMP personal sensor for your phone if you're a parent there. You can get information about our our team package uh, there as well. It's also available on Amazon. Um, and as for social media, we're you know at Triax Tech on Twitter and. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram and uh, Facebook, all the all the channels. All right, um, I'll link it up. Yeah, go and, over uh, to uh, yeah the Heads and Tails uh, backslash podcast, and you can have detailed show notes there. Yep, and the uh, the head on I think is a great resource, which you you know, mentioned earlier. But you can get to that on our website and through our app um, on on the phone, and we do update that regularly. So if you just want to get good information about what's out there, that's what's real, what's not, see other people's stories like yours. Um, it's a great place to go. Cool. Thanks. Um, so I always end my, my podcast with these two last questions. So uh, what three things are you most grateful for right now? Um, my family. Uh, I've been married and had a daughter in the last year and a half. And it's oh, wow. It's really changed my life yeah. all for the better. Um, my, my family, this opportunity I have to try to create my own, uh, my own life and business um, at the same time is uh, – it's it's very unique. It's there's a lot of ups and downs with running a startup, but I, I just feel privileged to have the have the chance. Um, and I think the third thing is just being being born in this country. I know it's kind of cliche, but there aren't many people who have an opportunity to get a good education, play a lot of sports, and then try to create a business to do what you love. Um, and it's it's really something I don't take for granted. It's it's a great uh great opportunity to, to to live in america awesome chad yeah america yeah <laughs> football in america <laughs> yeah. um all right last question what's your personal definition of perseverance so i i think perseverance to me is when someone tells you no you think of five ways to can make them say yes and i I've learned all that just from being in the startup world the last four years. I'm sure, yeah. When you're trying to do something that no one else has done before or is against what people, like, like a culture, for example, right. and you have to fight a culture, you have to learn to... It's no easy task. Yeah, yeah. you have to learn to, to take your take your lumps. And um, it's, it's definitely the hardest part about running your own company because um, until you've made it, then everyone wants to be your friend. But right. until that point, no one wants to talk. Exactly. To you, right? Yeah. And everyone loves a winner. My coach always said <laughs> that. Yeah. Right. And and it's just believing in yourself and knowing that what your the path you're on and the vision you have is what is going to ultimately pan out. You have 100% belief in that. You can persevere through anything. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time out of your day, Chad. I know you guys are busy. Um, I really admire what you guys are trying to do with uh, Triax Technologies in terms of making sports safer. That's what the podcast is all about, just trying to start a discussion, you know, and you know, not to scare people, but just to, you know, educate people and, you know, make them aware of, of what's going on and to allow kids, you know, to play sports for generations and years until we're long gone. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. And uh, I think if anyone takes anything away from this, it's education is the most important thing. Awesome. Well, thanks, Chad. I appreciate it. Thank you.